Hello, hello, hello. It's been a while. I do apologise, but I am back and it is Thursday, February 15th. And today, in my humble opinion, trumps Valentine's Day and always will because it's World Hippo Day. And if you haven't already, you do need to make sure you're following Cincinnati Zoo on any form of social media. They're everywhere. TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, X. It always mucks me up because they're one-year-old hippo fritz the chunkiest, cutest boy who has so much personality, you simply have to see it. Kia ora, this is Newsable, I'm Imogen and this is What's Worth Talking About. We're chatting to an expert about a concerning trend emerging online, encouraging boys and young men to make extreme changes to their physical appearances. If one of the country's biggest companies is reporting a $120 million loss, how are small businesses going? Harry and Megan are hitting refresh and rebranding, but will it work? Plus, the Guinness World Record that was denied, but then awarded. All that's coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. There's a trend emerging on TikTok, apparently, and it's not a good one. It's called looksmaxing. And if you Google it, you get results that describe the trend like this. Working to enhance your natural gifts, taking your looks from good to outstanding. But one researcher has linked the trend with a darker side. Jamila Rosdahl, a lecturer in psychology in Australia, says while looks maxing has a softer side to it, it also has ties to violence and incels, or involuntary celibates. That's the movement of men who blame women for their difficulties with relationships. So to talk more about this, we're joined by Chris Taylor, a doctor of psychology at Auckland University. Kia ora, Chris. Welcome to Newsable. Thank you for having me on. Chris, can you explain how what essentially seems like a male beauty trend can be tied with violence, hatred of women and self-harm. I was aware of this type of movement, looks maxing and this obsession with the kind of specifically facial structure, skull structure and those sorts of things in communities like incels going back quite a long way. The recent trend, I believe, is a combination between that original um, interest and all the beliefs that surrounded that, and then a broader shift towards uh, changes in male beauty standards, which I think are probably a lot more benign. Is it dangerous? Do you think? Is this like the female version of the thigh gap trend that we saw years ago? I think it's very concerning. I think that we've seen an increase in uh, men and young boys' anxieties about their bodies, uh, about the ways that they're supposed to look. Um, And these are pressures that women have been experiencing for decades. So while I think that the promise of um, sort of gender equality, we would hope that the um, prescriptions and rules about how we were supposed to look would fall away, it seems like it's gone the other way. And now both men and women are increasingly encouraged to discipline their bodies control what they eat, exercise in ways that um, push themselves to uh, the extremes and those sorts of things. Well, you you mentioned both being a bit silly and also people taking it too far. Here are some of the things that are involved uh, in looks maxing that are, I would say, a step away from grooming your eyebrows. Uh, Things like steroid use being promoted, uh, hair transplants, plastic surgery, using pumps for penis stretching, removing ribs for a more sculpted waist, bone smashing, which involves using hammers to break bones in your face to sort of restructure your jaw and your cheekbones. 
these sound completely nuts. So the boys that I worked with, um, high school age boys, you know, they talked about things like bone smashing, that that kind of movement. And they were unsure about how much of that was a joke versus how much of that was serious. And my particular concern is that there seems to be a trend towards young men understanding their attractiveness in very prescribed and very specific ways. Those are if I tick all of these boxes, if I get a particular type of body, if I cut my hair a particular way, if I work out and I wear these specific types of clothes, women will find me more attractive and therefore I will get a girlfriend, for example, in a heterosexual context. The issue for me is that it doesn't account for the other things that I would argue make somebody an attractive person, like sense of humor having interesting hobbies, interests, being caring and kind, those sorts of other Mm. things that I think are really important. And I think that this concentration on maximizing your looks creates a kind of a problematic expectation amongst young men that if they just do these things, then they deserve to get a girlfriend. And I think that's as close as we get to that link between inseldom and the men's rights advocacy movement on the internet is that there is a sort of entitlement Mm. that underlies it which says if i look a particular way i deserve x what about older younger men (laughs) older younger men yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) i think sometimes we do a disservice when we think about teenagers as being particularly um at risk in these areas because i know plenty of men in their early 20s 30s 40s who are also more than likely to fall down youtube wormholes where they (laughs) pick up all sorts of ideas that they maybe haven't thought very critically about i see no reason to believe that there aren't men in their 30s who are also very anxious about the way that their face looks or the way that their body looks uh, and want to do something about it the issue is the motivation behind it if you see someone, a male friend, say, mm-hmm. Fano falling down that rabbit hole, what should you do? My advice would be to try to get into a discussion, try to be non-judgmental as much as you can, um, and just talk it out. Because the issue with a lot of the influence of these online movements, whether they're groups or whether they're specific influences, is that adults are just not engaging in earnest and sort of like good faith conversations with young people about those things. And young people really want to have those conversations. Chris Taylor, Doctor of Psychology at Auckland University, thank you so much for taking the time to Kōrero. No problem. Thanks for having me. Remember, if you want to get in touch, you can. You can email us newsable at stuff.co.nz and you can also follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Just search NZ Stuff. Quite big news in the business world. With the revelation, Fletcher Buildings recorded a $120 million loss in the first half of the 2024 financial year. Its chief executive and chairman of its board are both stepping down as well. Look, it doesn't exactly paint the best picture. This is one of the country's largest companies, losing more than $100 million. So how are our smaller businesses and sole traders faring? Here to chat is James Fuller from Henry, a firm that specialises in tax support for small and medium firms. Kia ora, James. Welcome back to Newsable. Kia ora. Thank you. Nice to be here. We'll start with small businesses. Are our small to medium enterprises doing it 
tough and struggling to hang on? And if so, is there a specific sector or is this widespread? Yeah, I, I think what we're seeing a lot of is that particularly smaller businesses that, that have staff, so we're seeing businesses, maybe two to five staff, they're really doing it tough out there in terms of rising costs of materials, in terms of um, just general levels of pessimism in the economy. And, you know, anecdotally, we're starting to see a lot of people in that space start to talk about selling their businesses. They're starting to say, okay, if I've got this business. It's maybe not going as well as I'd hoped. I've built it. I've got a bunch of staff. How do I maybe exit this business? And particularly in the retail sector is where we're seeing that most of all people who are running uh, small, either online or physical stores, people are saying, look, the business is just not there. Some of them want to just return back to a more simplistic lifestyle, go back to sole trading. Um, some people overextended themselves over the last couple of years. But it's it's a lot of those smaller businesses are really being hit hard at the moment. And is that things like interest rates or customers being careful with their spending or both? It's a real combination of the two. I think, you know, consumer confidence is is down a little bit. We saw towards the end of last year, particularly just before and then after the election, everyone sort of sat on their hands. There was a lot of wait and see. And that went for consumers and businesses. People just didn't know how things were going to turn out. They didn't know how the sort of coalition negotiations were going to go. And so consumer confidence and, and sort of just dropped a bit and everyone just paused and almost said, do you know what? We're going to wait till New Year. We'll wait till 2024 and we'll see what happens. And that's had a big impact on, on some of those small retailers. And I forget how big the small and medium sector actually is. I feel like I, I get you to remind us every time you come on the podcast. So please, James, once again, remind us how big this sector really is in New Zealand. So small business as a whole is probably about sort of 18 to 20% of the entire economy. And then within what most people think of as small business, probably about 65 to 70% of it are sole traders. They are individuals. They don't necessarily have staff. They are your tradies, your freelancers, your contractors, your medical professionals. And that's a massive, massive chunk of the economy that I think are seeing slightly different conditions to those small businesses we talked about earlier. Is this $120 million loss at Fletcher's a signal for things to come? We'll see a knock-on effect, particularly when we think about the sole traders. We think about the tradies themselves, the people who are going to be maybe contracted in by Fletcher's to do a bunch of work. If there's a ripple that comes through the industry, we'll absolutely see some impacts. I think what we do know is that um, based, based on our most recent sort of independent poll result data, about 57% of tradies believe there is or will be a recession over the next year. Mm. And 41% said we're already in it. So I think the trades particularly are bracing for really tough economic conditions. And so I think it's less that, you know, the, the, the Fletcher announcement will be the start of, but the Fletcher announcement is a symptom of conditions that are probably already out there. James Fuller from Henry. Always great to chat. Thank you so much. Thanks. Harry and Meghan's royal rebrand is up next. What have they done and will it work? We've got a very much in the know royal commentator ready to explain it all. And if you are enjoying what you're hearing, remember to chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called... 
league of our own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> For the royal followers among you, you might have already clocked that the Sussexes funny word to say, isn't it? Sussexes. That's Harry and Megan, of course, appear to be going through a bit of a rebrand at the moment. They've launched a new website. A bit flash. It's quite flash. It's even been described as grandiose with the title. The Office of Prince Harry and Megan, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. So what are Harry and Megan trying to achieve? And well, why is the rebranding necessary? Newsable has turned to royal expert and fellow podcaster Kenzie Schofield, who hosts the To Die For Daily Pod. You may remember we spoke to her last year. She's back again. Kenzie, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I missed you. <laughs> I missed you too. Hey, what do you think is behind the relaunch? Okay, so everyone's using this word rebrand a lot. I have to tell you, I don't, is this a rebrand? I don't think that there's anything different. I would refer to this more as a California facelift. <laughs> I think this is, a, this is a Hollywood facelift. They have glossy new bios that are, I mean, when, when someone would say like grandiose. I mean, just take one look at Meghan Markle's bio. She totally skips that whole deal or no deal series that launched her acting and launched her entertainment career, skips the 90210 cameo, but wants to talk about how she is one of the most important people in Time Magazine's such and such issue. And, and I'll, you know, calls herself a feminist repeatedly, but it's like, you're one of the most important people because of the guy you married. You, you got all of these things because of the man you married. Um, so I'm going to step off my soapbox for a second. I think that they were in need of changing some things up because their brand appears to be kind of toxic right now. And specifically with the Archwell charity, we know that in 2022, they told the government that they had received $2 million worth of donations for Archwell charity, which was an $11 million decline from the previous year. So a part of me feels like someone has advised them, have a professional website and then have a charity website. But let's separate these entities so that we don't pollute the charity efforts with some of our personal drama, with some of the professionally negative headlines, Spotify deal lost, whatever litigation they're going through. That is my take. That's what I personally think. You know, so much time has passed since they left that close embrace of the royal family and their royal duties. Keeping up that public profile it's almost for them does rely on trading on those royal links. So is this them trying to get back in to the spotlight? If so, what terrible timing. Your dad has cancer. You know what I mean? Like your dad has cancer. Uh, the Princess of Wales is out with some mystery abdominal surgery issue. Like what a terrible time to be like, guess what? We're relaunching. Hey, everybody, remember who we are. That would just be the worst idea ever. Um, but I do agree with you. They There is 
a desperation to stay relevant because if you look at the only commercial success they've had, I mean, relevant and acknowledging the fact that it's royal related, the only commercial success that Harry and Meghan have had is Netflix's Harry and Meghan docuseries, which they spend a significant amount of time tearing into the British royal family, or Harry's book Spare, which analytically is a success. It was a, you know, a New York Times bestseller and a significant amount of those pages are Harry tearing into the British royal family. So um, there is proof that they are really only relevant when they are associated with Harry's family members. Do you think this, what did you call it, California facelift is going to work? Yeah, well, did you know that Megan has just signed a new deal for a brand new podcast? Oh, no, I did not. Uh, with a company called Lemonada Media. And this is a small podcast network. If you think of Spotify, Spotify advertises 5 million podcasts available through Spotify. Uh, Lemonada Media has 50 under their umbrella. So this is a startup. It's five years old. Oh. Uh, it is co-founded and run by women. Again, Megan says she's a feminist, so maybe this is a really great little space for her. She's going to be a big fish in a small pond versus trying to compete with the likes of Joe Rogan, who she just can't. There was no way she was going to compete with Joe Rogan at Spotify. Well, there's certainly one thing we can always guarantee is that the Royals will always give us something to talk about. Kenzie Schofield from the Two Die For Daily podcast. Lovely to have you back and lovely to chat. Thank you so much. I have to tell you about a story that's been brewing for a little while because there's been a huge development. The story was about a man whose Guinness World Record attempt took him eight years. But Guinness turned it down without anyone coming to even look at it. No one came. A French model maker had built an Eiffel Tower using more than 700,000 matchsticks. That was his world record he was submitting. But the submission was rejected because he hadn't used matches that were available for you or I to purchase from the shop down the road, say, that had had the flammable, the red flammable red tibby bit taken off. Guinness World Record says you have to use matches that anyone can buy but have the red bit gone, Burger. Red bit's gone but have to be from the shop down the road. Now, Mr. Plot, the French model maker, grew tired of cutting off the red tips one by one on his store-bought mattresses. If he had more than 700,000 behind him, you'd get tired as well. I'm not surprised. So Mr. Plot got one of the main French manufacturers of matches to send him matchsticks sans the red bit. Sans the red bit, if you will, without realising that that was against the Guinness rules. So eight years... 706,900 matches, making up a seven-metre-tall Eiffel Tower later. And his attempt got rejected automatically. Now, this all happened a week or so ago. As I said, it's been brewing, but there has been a development. Guinness have admitted they were too heavy-handed with the rules. A spokesperson for the organisation says they have since learnt more about the techniques used by the matchstick model-making community. And after a second review of Mr. Plow's achievement in relation to similar record titles. They've decided to give him his world record and they'll be more flexible with their matchstick rules. So, if you've ever considered joining the matchstick model-making community, now's the time. Guinness are going loose on the rules. Get in there, I say. And also, well done to Mr. Plow for sticking to making his Eiffel Tower for eight years. I've got a jigsaw puzzle on my dining table. 
And I started a few days ago and I'm very close to putting it back in the box because I haven't been able to finish it yet and I'm already bored. That is Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. It's great to be back and I'll catch you soon. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.